You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It's definitely a tough, tough loss, but uh, after today, we, we got a lot of things to work off of. We're going to take this one together. Uh, win, lose, or draw, we're going to be together. Brotherhood, one heartbeat, and uh, we love these guys, man. We got to keep going. Pain. Nothing but pain here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. LSU loses a heartbreaker to Florida State in the All-State Louisiana kickoff 24-23. We'll talk about that throughout today's show. We'll also touch on the Louisiana Raging Cajuns extending the nation's longest active win streak to 14 games with a 24-7 win over the Southeastern Louisiana Lions. McNeese traveling up to Bozeman, Montana and falling to the Bobcats of Montana State 40-17. We'll talk about all of that and much more in the world of college football, and we'll get you set for NFL football here at the end of the week. Matt Miguez here once again, 4.03 on your Labor Day afternoon. The producer genius, the co-host mastermind. Facts. And just a, a good legendary fantasy football manager. Oh, dude, you know it. The the guy just knows how to put a team together. Golly, you're you're hitting all the right buttons right now, Miss Mister James. Are you Mesh. sure you're not on the producer board? <laughs> I see what you did there. What's up, buddy? Oh man, uh, that that honestly brightened me up a little bit. I'm glad. Thank you. I'm glad. None of it was true. What? <laughs> oh man, good start to today's show. Okay, so let's look at. I mean, I don't I don't even know if I can. We have to look at the. The LSU game. We have to. Yeah, we do. We do. 24 to 23, the final score. LSU scoring 13 points in the final quarter. However, it just was not quite enough. You know, James, I'm ju- I'm not going to sugarcoat this. I'm, I'm just going to be as, as point blank as, as I possibly can. It was a tough watch. LSU was bad. They were bad. There was a lot of bad from that game. They were bad. Offense was not great. Never got into a rhythm. Defense, I'd I'd, I'd swear they never taught tackling in Baton Rouge. Um, it's been like that the last few years. I don't know. I don't because looking at, and I hate this. This is this is what really pisses me off about certain players on defense. But the type of players that only go for shoulder hit sticks instead of just wrapping up, because you can still have a good hard tackle if you just wrap them up and tackle them either yep. around the knees, around the thighs, or just get them high on the shoulders to where it's like you can't really do anything. You're kind of stuck and you just go down with them. But no, everybody wants to try and make the highlight hit stick and put that on their huddle. It's like get the guy down before they get an extra twenty yards on the catch or the run. Yep. No, absolutely. One, I 100% agree with you. One bright spot in the game, though, was Jaden Daniels. I completely agree. People can sit there and say whatever. And by the way, while we're venting here, if you want to vent yourself, 
phone lines are wide open. 706-0111. I know you got some thoughts. On a, here on a Monday afternoon vent session. But people can sit there on social media all they want and say Jaden Daniels wasn't good. That's just wrong. It's wrong. Jaden Daniels was and I've not got, just good, really good. And I've got numbers to back it up. I mean, the kid went 26 of 35 for 209 yards and two touchdowns. And he also had 114 yards on 16 carries. James, he was involved in 93% of LSU's offensive production last night. 93%. Who else does that? That's absurd numbers for your first start in an SEC uniform. It's absurd. Absurd numbers. Jaden Daniels was phenomenal. And now people want to sit there and say, oh, early in the game, he wasn't making great passes. Of course he wasn't. He was running for his life. And and there were players like Kayshawn Booty who either couldn't get open or just couldn't catch the ball. I mean, that very first play of the game, Daniel scampers for a 25-yard run. That was not a designed run play. None of his 16 carries were designed runs. That should tell you something. 16 carries and none of them were by design? Yeah, I mean, the guy was running for his life. And then he also got sacked a couple of times and had to throw out a sack a couple of times. Yep. He was pressured the whole game. The line, we knew it was not a strong spot. We thought it was pr- it was going to be below average. But it Subpar, is, but no, it is horrible. It, it is much worse than, than I thought it was. I was hoping Cam Wire would make some strides forward after not being good last year. I'm not huge on offensive line. I don't pay attention. I'm that's not my expertise. But watching the O line and especially Cam Wire, and even even the left tackle, it was it was bad. Yeah, I mean Daniels was sacked four times last night. Four times, and yet still had 323 total yards of offense. And people want to say that that was bad. Really. No, the offensive line was bad. The defensive front seven was bad outside of B.J. Ojolari. Uh, Don't even get me started on on Ali Gay and and that boneheadedness. That's horrible. I mean, that that had to be one of the most obvious targeting calls. The kid, he, he didn't even try to hide it. He launched his head right into the face mask of Jordan Travis. Didn't even try to hide it. That was terrible. And then I forget which corner was guarding number 80 that play. I forget who it was, but he was holding his left arm. He couldn't get it. And 80 still routed oh, in with just... you're talking about the one-handed? Yeah, yeah. but that, that was all the same play. Like, Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Because, yeah, Jordan Travis, that, that was the same play. Um, Look, man... Again, LSU was not great by any means. But it's got to give you some sort of promise, potential, maybe, for all of those things to go wrong. And yet you were an extra point away from sending the game to overtime. I mean, think about that. Everything that went against LSU last night. And they still almost found a way to win. And yet you still 
should could have won the game. I'm not going to say should have. You could have won the game. That's got to give you some form of, okay, well, you know, in hindsight, because I get it. Last night, everybody was mad. I was mad. I get it. But now you've had almost 24 hours to sit here and process it. There's a lot of bad, but there's there's a lot of good, too. There's some bright spots. There's definitely some bright spots. Um, now, I will say this, and, and again, this is another thing that I'm not going to sugarcoat. Kayshawn Butte, Malik Neighbors, and Kyron Lacey having to scrub their social medias because they were getting death threats? You're kidding me. You're kidding me. Over a game. Now look, I love college football just as much as the next man. You're threatening teenagers and kids in their You're, early 20s. Regardless of their age, these are kids. These are these are my like this is my age group. This is our age group. Yeah, I'm 25 and I'm getting married in 4 days, but I'm still a kid. And you're going to sit there and threaten people's lives over a game? We got to be better than that. We got to be better than that. That's not necessary. Now, don't get me wrong. Again, I love college football just as much as the next person. I get upset. I get happy. All of it. We, I have, all, we all run through those emotions. I have the same emotions that any other fan has. We can't be sending kids death threats. Just can't. You shouldn't even be sending the professionals death threats. Now, that's all that's all rumors, obviously, because you're never gonna know, you know, truly that they got death threats. But I have seen multiple things on social media saying that's the reason that they had to scrub their social media accounts. They were getting so much hate the, and blackmail the, that the increasing negativity. They were getting death threats, is what I've seen, and that's and that's horrible. The fact that that even has to be rumored and reported is horrible. It's a damn game. Anyways, once again, LSU falls to Florida State, twenty-four to twenty-three in the All-State Louisiana kickoff. They will return to Tiger Stadium next Saturday to take on Southern, who <laughs> might need a new scoreboard after this past Saturday. I mean, they played Florida Memorial and scored the second most points in school history. 86 to nothing, James. It was 42 to nothing after the first quarter, 56 to nothing at halftime, 72 to nothing after three quarters, and then 86 to nothing was the final. At what point do the coaches just meet at midfield and say, All right, we're done. Like we, we can go home now. You got that. Like and and you know, obviously it, it's a bad look that Southeastern ran the score up that much. But it's not like they left starters in all game. But but again, like at what point 
does the coach for Florida Memorial just hand over his headset and go, "Hey, hey guys, great, great game. We're, we're going home. Where's the where's the white flag? Right, we're we're going home. I mean, total yards. Southeastern was six hundred and twelve. Florida Memorial with ninety two, and ninety two total yards of offense. I mean, oh my God! And you know what's here's here's what's crazy. So you see that statistic, right? Southeastern has 520 more yards than Florida Memorial. And Southeastern did that with five less minutes of possession. Florida Memorial had 32 minutes and 30 seconds of possession. They controlled the ball for over half the game. And still didn't put a point on the board. Oh my God, that's horrible. Could you imagine being a fan in that stadium that night? That's, oh man. We got a lot more to get to. Poll question is up on Facebook and Twitter. Give me your thoughts on LSU's season after game one. Has the season been lost? Is there a lot of work to do? Is it not the end of the world? Or there's a fourth option. James, what's the fourth option? It's seasons already already lost. A lot needs to be done. They can turn it around. Not the end of the world. They can turn it around. That's what it was. So, yeah, so far, 28% say the season's already lost. 20% say a lot needs to be done. 20% say they can turn it around. And 32% say it's not the end of the world. Ton says, I tell you what, there's little positive to take away from that atrocity. However, it's only one game. Give the guy a chance. The problem we as fans have is that we're so used to success, we've forgotten about adversity. The toxicity of our fan base saddens me sometimes. Wow. Steve says, I told you boys early in the hire it was a bad move. He was outcoached for three quarters, made zero adjustments, special teams disasters, and O-line follies. The SEC is more than Kelly can handle. First coach in forever to lose a season opener at LSU. He is the first head coach to lose a season opener at LSU since Jerry DiNardo in 1995. However, do I think that one bad game to Florida State means that he was the wrong hire? God, no. God, no. Now, granted, when LSU was searching for a head coach, was was Brian Kelly the guy that I said LSU needed to get? Absolutely not. That guy's at the University of Florida beating the seventh-ranked team in the country. And according to LSU fan boards, there, were, there was a couple of LSU fans last night that agreed with me. But, uh, no, I mean, Brian Kelly, Here, here's the thing. Even if Brian Kelly was this awful coach and, you know, needed to be fired, you can't. Who can afford $90 million to buy him out? LSU is not paying that. You can't afford to. That would break any college football program. So even if he was some terrible coach, there's not much you can do. However, he's not a terrible coach. He's had success everywhere he's gone. And it's going to take him some time to adjust to the SEC. So yes, last night was a bad game. It was a bad loss for LSU. But in the grand scheme of things, everybody just needs to relax. 
It wasn't going to happen overnight. Brian Kelly wasn't going to step in and go, woo, national champs. Like, that's not how this was going to work. It's going to take a year, maybe two, before you start seeing the LSU of old. And that's just what it's going to be. So patience is a virtue. We all need to learn it. Some of us more than others, but we all need to learn it. So that is, that's my two cents of the day. We'll, uh, we'll get to some LSU audio. We'll get to some Cajuns audio and McNeese Cowboys audio as well. And James and I will run down through the college football scoreboard a little later on in the show. However, time is running out for you to score tickets to see the Houston Astros live in person. Register in the Game Rewards Club to score four tickets to see Houston take on Tampa Bay Saturday, October 1st. And we'll even throw in a tour of Minute Maid Park and hotel accommodations. This is the last Astros Weekend giveaway of the regular season, and Astros Weekend getaways are powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, La Meridian, Houston Downtown, and The Game. It's Southwest Louisiana's sports station. We'll take a timeout. When we return, we'll hear from head coach Brian Kelly, as well as B.J. Ojolari and Major Burns, right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana sports station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Keep your head up, Tiger fans. It's going to be okay. We're back on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Uh, before we get to the LSU audio, it was brought to my attention that I was referring to Southern as Southeastern. I, I do apologize. I did mean Southern. Um, I, I guess the Cajuns and Southeastern game was just kind of, you know, it just kind of came out. But again, I, I did mean Southern. LSU is playing Southern this weekend. Um, so further clarification but anyways Brian Kelly spoke with the media after last night's loss and you know he talked about a lot of things he talked about the special teams he talked about how they struggled to tackle he talked about the big messages that the team needs to play with a sense of urgency here's Kelly's opening statement I begin by uh, congratulating Florida State you know they outplayed us in the first half certainly mistake after mistake for us uh, and particularly in the first half and, uh, you know, obviously more mistakes in the second half. We, we started to overcome some of those and, um, you know, played with, I would consider, more of a sense of urgency, you know, with the last 12 minutes. But, uh, you know, our margin for error was, was so small that we couldn't make any more mistakes. Um, I was proud of our resolve. We battled. But, you know, we just have to learn how to play the game the right way, and that is... For four quarters, we, we didn't play with uh, the kind of sense of urgency that I want for four quarters, and that was evident in our play. We didn't tackle very well. We couldn't get off the field on third down. We didn't execute very well offensively. We had two turnovers in, in, in our punt return game, which we thought would be an asset for us, and then we had a blocked field goal and, and uh, a blocked extra point. Anytime you have those kinds of situations, you're setting yourself up for a long night and despite all of those things I stand here in front of you with an opportunity to to bring the game into an overtime situation Brian Kelly also spent some time talking about the fact that like I said before his opening statement they need to play with a sense of urgency we're we're not happy with with the outcome we have to play better we've got to coach better but I'm proud of the way our guys competed and 
there's going to be good days for this football team. Um, but they've got to recognize, and, and our coaches have to recognize, we've got to put them in good positions, and we've got to play with a, a sense of urgency. We saw when we played with a sense of urgency, we came up with big stops, and we, we answered every score. And I think the tempo of the offense improved. Players look comfortable out there. We ran the ball, you know, in, in tough areas when we needed to. That's good football, and we didn't have enough of that. Jaden Daniels had a great game last night. He spent some time talking about his emotions after watching that blocked PAT. Uh, confused. Uh, actually, I was uh, kind of you know, catching a cramp. Uh, so I was uh, talking to our nutritionist, but I just hear everybody cheering. Um, I look up and I see Florida State running, so I was stunned and confused. Uh, it's, it's disheartening because obviously, you know, you think you're going to overtime, but that doesn't define the game. Um, you know, we had many, like, 20, 30 plays that defined the game that could have changed the outcome. Brian Kelly, going back to the defensive side now, uh, the the message for the defense was that they struggled to tackle. We felt like we could get off the field on third down. We thought we would tackle better, but you don't go through camp tackling at the level that, you know, you're trying to tackle, you know, the quarterback here at Florida State is very difficult, and we had a hard time getting them on the ground, quite frankly. Uh, and we have some pretty good players that couldn't get them on the ground. But we didn't tackle very well. We didn't communicate as effectively as we needed to on the back end of our defense. And, and again, that's, that's coaching and, and that's execution. And, and we're all in this together, players and coaches alike. We have to go back tomorrow and go back to work and, and, and get better at, at those things. But no, I, 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 we didn't go through camp and go, wow, this is, we are who we are. We have all these holes. Uh, we didn't expect you know, a lot of the mistakes that we saw out there today. But as coaches, we have to be critical of ourselves and uh, look at our evaluation and say that, you know, we're part of this as well and, and we've got to do a better job coaching. James, does last night's performance change your thoughts on their win total for the year? I'd say it probably alters it a little bit. I was thinking it was going to be 8-4, and four, but kind of looking at the schedule, it feels like maybe I have a team – Maybe LSU beats a team that I thought they were going to lose to, but they also maybe lose to a team that I thought they should beat. AKA so, last night. And then, then this was one of those examples. Right. So I don't want to I don't want to already give up and say like look, getting to 7 and 5 would be a miracle. But this one does feel realistic that also is kind of optimistic. Yeah. Because it, it feels like you should be able to beat Southeastern coming up next week. Southern. Southern. They should be able to beat Southern next week. But if you look at last year, and I'd hate to harp on games like last year, but they were able to beat McNeese, but it wasn't convincing. So it feels like... Or the ULM game either. Or ULM. Or a lot of games in the last two years. They'll win this this next game. But I'm worried it's not going to be one of those convincing ones where it's going to be 55 to 10. It's going to be, it feels like it'll be a 34 to 17 game. And it's like, mm. how'd you give us? I, I don't know. I'm, mm. I'm throwing numbers out there, but it feels like it, it'll be closer than it should be because there's so many struggles. There's so many struggles, but 
And you can't tell me that they're all of a sudden going to turn around. This and, should be a pick me up game. But but here's, what have they what have they done the last two years? But here's the thing, McNeese and McNeese was coming off the Hurricanes. I mean, I understand, but the the talent gap between LSU and Southern is massive. Massive. It wasn't massive for these other these other games that they struggled with. No, no. I mean, think it's, so? it's still a pretty big talent gap, but not as big. You're you're talking you're talking a swack school. Don't get me wrong. Southern's a good football program, but they're not SEC. They're not SEC good. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I think it might be closer than it would have been. You know, say in 2019. But I still think this is a 45 to 10 football game. I don't know. Unless I see something on Saturday, I feel like this will only be a 20 something point margin. You only beat Southern by 20 points. You think you think LSU fans are mad now? Oof. That's what I'm saying. Oof. I think I it feels like they're going to struggle, and this is going to be an uphill battle. Lastly, here's Brian Kelly on wide receiver Kayshawn Boutte. You know, I think it's like anything else. You know, here's a great player trying to make plays, maybe trying to do a little too much, you know, try to catch the ball before he had it. And and I wouldn't read too much into it. I think he learned tonight that, you know, he's just got to let the game come to him. There's going to be some nights where, you know, he doesn't get all the balls. There's so much, you know, that young man has so many uh, – you know, so much on his shoulders. You know, we just gotta get to him and and tell him to let the game come to him. He's gonna get his catches and um, not to press as much. Football season is here, and the game 1037 Lafayette 1041 Lake Charles wants to crown you the tailgating king with the ultimate tailgate giveaway powered by St. Landry Lumber, Austin's Outdoors, and the game. Score $500 to Chop Specialty Meats, a new grill with accessories, a cooler, a set of chairs, a $500 Visa gift card, tickets to LSU and Raging Cajun football games, and so much more. Enter in the Game Rewards Club, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's the ultimate tailgate giveaway powered by St. Landry Lumber, Austin's Outdoors, and the game. We'll take a time out when we return. Wilson Alexander of The Advocate will join us for Tiger Talk here on a Labor Day afternoon. You're listening to The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the Houston Astros and LSU Tigers. Johnson throws, Boutte's got it wide open at the 10, far side, he's in for the score, hit high, hammered to left field, going back, taking a look, is Holcomb, and it's gone! Time to talk all things Bayou Bengals with the Advocates, Wilson Alexander. Here is Tiger Talk on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. The Advocate joining us here for Tiger Talk. Wilson, how you doing, man? Thanks for taking the time. I'm doing okay. How are y'all? Uh, doing about as expected after last night's game. Just kind of, you know, question number one, just kind of walk through, you know, last night's game, you know, slow start by the offense. You end up pulling out a 99-yard drive right there at the end, and then, you know, the win really gets taken out of your sails with a blocked PAT. Yeah, you pretty much summed it up. I mean, this was just a messy game, sloppy game all around for LSU, and the ending sort of covered up some of that for a little bit and almost completely covered it up by, you know, if LSU ends up winning that game, then maybe you're not thinking about all that as much, but it just sort of 
left those weaknesses completely exposed with, you know, a blocked PAT uh, sealing the win for Florida State and that, you know, not letting LSU send it to overtime um, and, you know, try to win it in overtime. Things got a little bit better offensively. LSU scored touchdowns on its last three drives, but um, there was issues from, I mean, you know, protection on the offensive line to third down defense and just all over special teams. Uh, it was not a great showing, to say the least, in Brian Kelly's debut. Now, looking at the offense, you know, I'll, I'll start up front. The offensive line, I mean, for for lack of better phrasing, just didn't look very good. You know, what what did you see out of the offensive line last night? I, it did not look very good. No, I'm uh, you know I've been rewatching the game today, and I, it shows that you know they were it was leaky, <laughs> um, porous. Everyone to say it. There was especially early on, Jaden Daniels. You know, he, it's a little bit. Sometimes Jaden Daniels is kind of quick to run, but um, there were times where he was immediately having to lower his eyes um, from you know his targets downfield in order to you know just escape pressure in the pocket and, and kind of make something happen and, and create um, because there was uh, they also they weren't getting any push on running plays. Um, it seems like Elsie wasn't doing a ton of designed run um, action kind of anyway, but even then, I mean, they weren't getting much. Uh, push, uh, and so they couldn't really do it, and, and so it just wasn't a great game. Now, you talked about Jaden Daniels. In my honest opinion, I, I thought he had a great game. Uh, you know, he ended up twenty six to thirty five for two hundred nine yards with two touchdowns, and then also had one hundred and fourteen yards rushing. And of course, he orchestrated that ninety nine yard drive to to set up the potential of going into overtime for his first SEC. For his first start as a quarterback of an SEC team, give me your thoughts on Jaden Daniels. He played all right. I mean, we saw right off the bat, you know, LSU um, has a you know some pattern of passing patterns with everybody running kind of left to right, and Markin, excuse me, Florida State was in man coverage, and Jaden took off on the left side. You know, big twenty-five yard gain right off the bat. And you're seeing the benefit of his legs, and he continues to show that. You know, it's funny because he's kind of thin. Um, but he's difficult to bring down. He's slippery. It may be a good word for it. And even with sort of the, the athletes Florida State had, they had a tough time bringing him to the ground. And he's quick enough to get to the sideline and get out of bounds and protect himself um, when he's running. And, and you know, he actually looked all right as a passer too. I mean, at least particularly the last uh, you know sort of 15, 16, 17 uh, minutes of, of that game as LSU started kind of mounting this comeback. He looks confident as a passer. I mean, fitting throws into tight windows, even early on. You know, he has that pass that Kayshawn doesn't even get his head around between a corner and safety. That was a pretty good ball. I mean, in a really tight spot, um, and giving Kayshawn a chance to catch that and score there early in the in the first half. And, um, you know, I think that's more on Kayshawn than it was on Jaden. You know, Jaden played well and uh, took some took some beatings at times, but just kind of kept fighting and, and gave this offense a, a chance to win it there at the end. I mean, especially that last touchdown throw. You saw him work through all of his progressions, stand tall in the pocket, not try to just take off because his first read wasn't there, work his way across the field and find Jerry Jenkins. Now going to the running game outside of Jaden Daniels, like I said, who had 114 yards rushing, the running game really looked a little bit out of sort. Do you categorize that to, you know, again, the offensive line just you know, not playing very well, or you know, was, do you think there was something off with the running backs? Um, probably more so just the offensive line not creating much push 
LSU didn't really control the offensive line on either side of the ball. Um, a little bit better defensively at times. I mean, I think they held uh, Trayshawn Ward to you know 49 care 49 yards on 16 carries. But yeah, I mean, Jaden Daniels, you know, ended up being the leading rusher, and some, a lot of that was scrambling and not necessarily by design. I mean, Noah Kane was only had seven carries for 23 yards. Armani was five carries for 14. You know, this wasn't a, a good performance in the running game. And LSU wants to be a team that can. Uh, be physical at the line of scrimmage, attack downhill, and and run the football. That's what this offensive identity wants to be. But with what they've got, they might have to shift away from that this year, really go to that up-tempo, quick-passing game that we saw worked late in the second half and just get the ball in the hands of these receivers as quick as possible. Wilson Alexander joining us here for Tiger Talk on a Monday. Big blow to the Tigers' defensive line. Mason Smith now out for the season with a torn ACL, you know, I know last night they kind of did a, a replacement by committee on him, but what's the plan going forward to, to fill that spot on the defensive line? It would continue to be what you saw last night. Makai Wingo, I believe, was the first person to come in for Mason after he suffered the torn ACL, which this is an aside. I mean, absolute heartbreak for Mason, a guy who's seen poised for a massive sophomore year here, really burst onto the national scene, looked like he could just really make himself LC's best player and, and now he's going to have to come back from a you know an torn ACL, which is while easier to do these days, still a significant injury. But yeah, it's going to be Makai Wingo, uh, the Missouri uh, transfer, uh, who was an All SEC freshman last year. Uh, Makai isn't, doesn't have the you know, the physical attributes that Mason has quite to a degree. Uh, he's much shorter. I mean, Mason's six five. Makai's about six one, six two maybe. Um, but you know, he's stout. Um, and he's been you know trying to improve in the run game. He played had a, what looked like a solid game. And then also be Jacoby and Guillory rotating alongside uh, Jaquel and Roy. Those three will be what LSU looks at def- uh, defensive tackle. Another mistake for LSU on defense last night was was Ali Gay getting ejected for targeting on, I mean, really what was an obvious call, launching his the crown of his helmet into the face mask of Jordan Travis. You know, what, what do you think Ali Gay was, was thinking in that play? I, I saw a lot of people talking about how it was just a lot of frustration that he wanted to let out or, or whatever, but that was just not a smart decision for, for a team that was already struggling on the field. No, it wasn't. And it's sort of, I mean, in that moment, you know, right as happened, you know, right as Florida State goes, throws a touchdown to go up by two scores for the first time, and it seemed like that was maybe the the nail in the coffin, even though it was really early, um, just because what else he was not doing anything offensively at that point down 17, three. And it was just sort of like this capper on what was, uh, you know, really messy night. And obviously the game ended up ending in a very different way, but um, it was a really sort of bizarre that, that, that happened. I mean, because he's senior defensive captain, uh, one of the leaders of this team, a guy who's always kind of talking to the other guys with Mary, make mistakes and you know that doesn't mean he can't make mistakes too but uh, it, it was just not a smart decision to not only uh launch himself into the jordan travis but to headbutt him essentially i mean he just completely loved with the crown of his helmet and um you know was just qualified for us the game and so you could tell that i mean brian kelly just sort of looked like in, in disbelief after the play like, like well you can't do that i think is what he told him and you know we don't know why quite why alligate you know did daddy we haven't talked to Ali but it was just not a smart decision how do you assess the coaching performance of Brian Kelly last night 
it was not good. Um, you know, this is his first game in charge, and uh, he, you know, took responsibility for that often throughout the post-game press conference, saying multiple times, you know, we've got to coach better, and we've got to, you know, he, he they didn't expect this coming out of preseason camp. He said, you know, he was kind of asked, like, did you anticipate mistakes like this? And he's like, no, we, you know, we thought we'd be able to tackle better. We thought we'd be able to get off the field and third down and communicate in the secondary, and um, we, that we didn't, he was like, we, we didn't have, think we just had all these holes everywhere, but clearly they have them, and and that's on him. Um, you know, he's he's the hundred million dollar man here, and he's got to get that stuff cleaned up and cleaned up in a hurry, especially little things on special teams. I mean, you can't have muff punts and you can't have blocked PATs. And you know, they even tried to make an adjustment going into that final PAT after the blocked field goal early in the game, and that didn't work either. Same thing, same pressure from the same area, and and you you know you lose the game there. And you know, there's a lot of things that are going to have to get cleaned up. There's a lot of little things that that you know are. Uh, you, you can, especially the special team stuff, I think, get that up in a fairly quickly. Um, but they've got to be able to do that. How much do you look into the situation with the wide receivers? You know, Kayshawn Butte, Malik Neighbors, and Kyron Lacey all had to scrub their Instagrams, you know, post game and, and their social media. What, what do you What do you make of that? I don't think at this point there's too much to have to read into that. Um, it is sort of bizarre, especially with Kayshawn, you know, not playing very well in this game and then for that to kind of happen like immediately after the game. Um, but, you know, there was a, a report that, you know, Kayshawn was at uh, film study today and I haven't heard anything to the contrary on that. And, you know, this seems like a situation where, especially like with Malik, you know, I mean, you saw him with, you know, drop that second muff pun and, you could tell he was really in his head about it. I mean, with laying face down on the ground with his hands over his face mask, and it wouldn't be a surprise if there was a lot of negative comments in you know their Instagram uh, on their posts and, and just interacting, you know, things that they were receiving on on social media um, that was really um, probably you know may not have been very nice. Uh, and so you know, scrub it and and prevent you know not give people a, a place to to say those things might have been uh, part of their reasoning. So the main message in all of this, Wilson, how does LSU take this game, use it as a learning opportunity, and move forward? Well, that's what they have to do. Um, but, you know, we've seen now the last two seasons open up with games that similarly exposed a lot of issues, and at least under the last regime, uh, with Ed Orgeron and his staff, they weren't able to get that turned around in the last two years. We obviously know what those were, and so... Um, but yeah, you know, Jaden Daniels said after the game that, you know, you don't like learning from losses, but that's what we're going to have to do here. Um, that, you know, so especially in the first year of, of a new coach, sometimes that can be instructive for him as, as he builds, you know, over the course of a 10 year contract, not just one first game of his first season. Um, you know, learn who he can rely on, what they need to do. Um, that's maybe the silver lining to all of this, but as it relates to this season in particular, They've got a lot of work to do in order to be competitive in the SEC West. And lastly, looking at the opponent for this week in the Jags of Southern, I know that Florida Memorial and LSU are, are far and wide different on, on talent level, but Southern putting up 86 over the weekend. Does that concern you at all heading into this weekend? It shouldn't concern you uh, from an LSU perspective. It's quite the game. I mean, props to Southern. I saw that score after the LSU game and just went, "Holy cow!" Eighty-six. Or excuse me, going in, after Saturday, I guess going into that game, you know, eighty-six nothing. That's that's an amazing score. Um, but that should not concern LSU fans. Um, 
in this game because, like you said, LSU just has far and away more talent, uh, you know, speed, strength, physicality um, on both sides of the ball just because of the players that they recruit. And so uh, this should not be uh, a close game in Tiger Stadium on Saturday. And also very quickly, I'm seeing reports on social media that LSU safety Joe Fouché is facing a four-game suspension due to academic issues with his transfer from Arkansas. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, I actually reported that uh, first during the game yesterday. Um, he is indeed uh, facing a four-game suspension. It's kind of complicated. It, it's I don't think anything that he did here at LSU, but you know, with credits, as I understand it, transferring, there's been some, some issues with that, and he uh, could miss four games. They are trying to appeal it. Uh, and get that reduced and get him back onto the field. Um, but that's the situation that he's facing now. And because of that, he did not dress out for last night's game. Wilson Alexander of The Advocate joining us here for Tiger Talk. Wilson, really appreciate you taking the time, man, and uh, we'll do it again next week. All right, thanks for having me. Tune in next week for another edition of Tiger Talk. Here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station over watching a mandated webinar at work. Oh, thank you, everyone, for coming to this exciting meeting today to discuss... Take that, productivity in the workplace. This is The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Attention sports fans, your favorite sports book, BetUS.com, is back for its 28th year of NFL action. With the industry's biggest sign-up bonus of up to 200%, BetUS offers our members the opportunity to cash in on all your favorite leagues, including the NFL, NBA, MLB, and more. Hundreds of new casino games, including the European, the coolest European slots, and live dealers waiting for you at the tables as well. You need a sports book with integrity and longevity, and you need to know you're going to get paid. You need a sports book that offers everything, including live betting, MMA, golf, horses, esports, and all kinds of crazy bets. Call today at 1 800 79 BetUS. That's 1 800 79 BetUS. And they'll walk you through setting up an account because nobody in the industry gives better bonuses than BetUS. If you join now and mention KLWB to get 200% in bonuses on your first deposit, head to BetUS.com and join today. That's BetUS, where the games begin. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, got a couple minutes left here in our number one. James, interesting statistic on the Houston Astros. The Astros' all-time record over the last 61 years as a team is 4,811 wins and 4,812 losses. With a win tonight, the Astros will be at 500 for the first time since May 14, 2006. The most the Astros have ever been over 500 all-time is four games in 2006. You see, people... The Astros have been going through a nice little stretch here. People forget how bad the Astros were in the mid-2000s. You know, that 2007 to 2013 range. People forget how bad they were. I remember. I remember I would go on father-son trips with a bunch of other fathers oh, and sons. Man. And every time we went, Astros just got were crushed. I, I, I remember the... People like to talk about the 100 win seasons. I remember the 100 loss seasons. 
Yeah, it was pretty bad back then. I remember losing 100 games. And also, uh, somebody posted on Twitter last night, I would pay $50 a week for a pay-per-view service where Coach O does live unfiltered commentary over every Brian Kelly LSU game. Yikes. Yikes. Um, also, we'll, we, we were going to run out of time to get to this, but we'll kick off hour number two with this graphic. What I would think these guys did if I didn't know they were SEC football coaches. You might want to stick around for that one because it's uh, it's interesting, to, to say the least. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two stacked with Cajuns recaps, McNeese recaps, and we'll break down the college football schedule in week one. This is the game. It's Southwest Louisiana's sports station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Much more of Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh coming up after this top of the hour sports update. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hour number two on a Labor Day afternoon. Met Miguez, James Mesh. Here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Open phone lines the rest of the way, 706-0111. James, I have a question for you. I love questions. What do you think Jimbo Fisher would do if he wasn't an SEC football coach? <laughs> or or what, what would you think he would do just by looking at him? Jimbo... I don't know, like an electrician. How about an owner of a plumbing company? <laughs> I was close. Owner was, of a plumbing company. Kind of works. So <laughs> this is a graphic that somebody made. I wish I knew who it was because, God, it, it's fantastic. It has all 14 SEC coaches, and it says, what I would think these guys did if I didn't know they were SEC football coaches. Nick Saban? You, you know him as probably the greatest college football coach of all time. What would he do? Oh, he's such a fun guy. He's a funeral home director. That's actually very fitting. Um, Sam Pittman, head coach of Arkansas. You know, big guy, country accent. What does he do for a living? Well, Farming. He is a deep south injury lawyer. Interesting. <laughs> deep south injury lawyer. They had, um, they had to spe- specify and say deep south. Right, right. Brian Harson, head coach at Auburn. Loud voice, big personality, knows how to talk to people. What would he do? Pastor of a Baptist megachurch. Yikes. <laughs> Billy Napier, a, a good friend of ours. Big win the other night at Florida. James, do you see Billy Napier being a high school basketball coach? Didn't he play basketball? He did. Yeah, I could see it then. He did. Because I, I could have sworn he played, he played football and basketball. Didn't he play baseball too? Uh, maybe. But I know for, I'm fairly confident it was football and basketball for sure, though. Kirby Smart, your defending national champion head coach. How about a Christian school history teacher? What? (laughs) He kind of has that look. You you know, you take the hat off, you put him in a suit. Kirby's kind of got that look about him. I I could see it. Um, And obviously it's easier for me to see it because I've got the graphic. But... 
we can we can post that to our, our social media channels. Where where his hair is down, covering a little bit of his right, forehead. Right, right. Yeah, it, it's it, fitting. It makes sense. It's fitting. Mark Stoops, the head coach of Kentucky. How about a State Farm agent? You know, gray-haired, middle-aged white male. You know, just kind of has that look about him. State Farm agent. I I could see that. Um, Brian Kelly, head coach at LSU. Chief surgeon. I was gonna say chief surgeon. I could that that fits. Well, I was gonna say also maybe something in dental. Yeah, he, I I could see him doing dental. Um, the graphic is getting posted as we speak on my Twitter channel at Miguez Matt. If you want to go follow along, Lane Kiffin. This one might be the funniest. <laughs> could, imagine being on an airplane. And Lane Kiffin is your flight attendant. Lane Kiffin brings you a beer and some pretzels. God, that's awesome. I love that. Mike Leach, curly hair, weird face, you know, funny quotes. That really odd math professor. Yes. Yep. Eli Drinkwitz. You know, Eli, Eli Drinkwitz. Kind of, kind of that glasses slicked over hair in a suit more times than not. Bank president. That'll that'll work. Shane Beamer, PGA golfer. Um, drawn a oh God. Josh Heupel, maintenance guy at an apartment complex right now, but looking for something better. <laughs> Jimbo Fisher, the owner of a plumbing company. Oh, Jimbo. And lastly, Clark Lee at Vanderbilt, the police chief. Speaking of Vanderbilt, man, I posted this on my Twitter earlier. What a time to be alive. It is September 5th, 2022. And I had to put the date so that we remember this. Vanderbilt is first in the SEC. They're 2-0 on the year. LSU is last, and they're the only winless team in the conference. Now, I know that everybody but Vanderbilt has only played one game. But Vanderbilt is first, and LSU is last. Oh, man, what a time. What what a time to be alive. Granted, at the end of the year, Vanderbilt may very well be 2-10. But... Oh, Clark Lee might have been on to something back in July when he said it was only a matter of time until Vanderbilt was the best team in the country. He might be on to something. I was going to say, I don't know. We were all calling him crazy. He, he might know something about the world of college football that we just don't. We're just not in the know. He, I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't know what, what to say. That's impressive. Like If I, if I would have told you, Vanderbilt's number one in the SEC and LSU's last. Would have laughed in your face. You would have told me I'm an idiot. I would have laughed in your face. Who would have thunk it? Not, not me. Not me. I keep going back to that Paul Rudd. <laughs> look, look at, at us. us. Look at us. Who, who, who even thought this? Not me. Yeah. Anyways, LSU, LSU again falling 24-23 to last night. Saturday night, the Cajuns winning 24-7 to 
over southeastern Louisiana. It was the first career start for quarterback Chandler Fields. And, you know, James, it's, it's safe to say he did okay. 13 of 20, 173 yards and two touchdowns. Terrence Williams was the leading rusher for the Cajuns with 10 carries for 61 yards. Johnny Lumpkin on his birthday. Five catches, 72 yards and two touchdowns. Great night for the senior tight end. But it was Eric Guerrer who stole the show uh, with an interception in the fourth quarter. Amir McDaniel getting an interception as well. And then Eric Guerrer's punt return line. James, he returned four punts for 95 yards. His longest was 83. And a tutty. And, and a touchdown. He went post-game in the press conference. He was asked about his his punt return for the touchdown, and uh, he he said that it was being it was almost like he was running through the Red Sea. It just split in half for him. Here's Eric Gare on his punt return. No, I got I, I got I got to give uh, a big thanks to my uh, to the block team. Everybody on the block team. Uh, I don't, don't want to leave nobody out. I got to get a huge a huge thank you to those guys because without those guys, I won't be I won't be scoring a touchdown. And like when I when I caught it, I, I ain't see nobody. So that mean that mean they were blocking their tails off of me. And I I, I want to thank them so much for that. Looking at further down the list, Preston Stafford kicking for the Cajuns. He went one of two from for field goals with a long of thirty six. He also hit all three of his extra points. And then Reese Burns four punts, one hundred and eighty five yards, and he put one inside the twenty. Looking around at other stat lines for the Cajuns, Michael Jefferson, two catches for 21 yards. Errol Rodgers, two for 19. Pierce Meagle, one for 17. Might have been the play of the game there, James. Uh, a fourth and seven, and he stayed on his feet after a big catch to get that first down and then a little bit more. Again, looking also Ben Woolridge, seven of 11 for 68 yards. In his you know short stint as as quarterback Saturday night, he played two drives for the Cajuns, and then you know for Southeastern, Cephas Johnson, the Southeastern transfer, I mean the South Alabama transfer, twenty two of thirty four, one hundred forty nine yards and an interception. And Gage Lavadian, the Southland freshman of the year last year, wide receiver, he got to throw one pass. It did not end well. Uh, he went zero for one with with an interception. And that was Eric Gare's interception. They ran a double reverse trick play, and Lervadian threw it. And I mean, it was Eric Gare basically just had to stand there and wait on it. It was one of those. It was it was, it was pretty easy to uh, to say the least. I'm not going to discredit Eric Gare in any way. However, looking again at the Cajuns, Michael Desermo spoke with the media after this Week One win over Southeastern. And this was his post-game message to the team. We're going to be happy when we win. It's that simple. You know, these kids, you have to understand, all right, the question, the, all the things these kids have heard for nine months, all right? All they've heard is about who's not here. All they've heard is that, you know, they can't go out there and, and keep the streak going. All they've heard is that we've lost too much to keep going. We're going to be happy when we win. And that's what I told them. Was it perfect? Heck no. I knew it wasn't going to be perfect. The effort was unbelievable. 
the kids, they, they've worked the right way. They've done the work, and they've got confidence in themselves to go out there and go play. So today was the first step in the right direction. Um, there's definitely a lot of improvement to be made. It's a lot easier, though, to go in there and make corrections and fix things when you win. And um, that's the name of the game, and we're going to try to do it one day at a time. Um, we're not worried about anything other than what's right in front of us that day. And so for us, today was to try to win, try to beat Southeastern, and our kids did that. I'm proud of that. He also spent some time talking about his quarterback in Chandler Fields. Like everybody, I thought he did a lot of really good things, and I thought there were some that he left out there a little bit. But that's, that's, that's football. That's playing, playing quarterback. You know, there's a couple things in there that, you know, certainly we want to get fixed, some of the progressions and stuff like that. But I thought Chandler did a really good job. Like I said, we're going to let them throw the ball. We're, we're going we're gonna to throw it around, and, you know, you have to be accurate. You have to make good decisions. You have to put the ball in the money, and you got to finish the plays too. So we're not going to play a game to try to hide a young quarterback. That's just that's not good for our team. It's not good for our development in the future. So I was proud of him. I thought he did a good job. I thought for the most part handled it really well. You know, and it's a lot to build off of for him. Certainly a, a good confidence boost going into uh you know going to the next week. Chandler Fields, his first touchdown pass of the game, it was spoken on multiple times in this postgame press conference. It was supposed to be, it was designed to be a touchdown pass to Michael Jefferson. However, due to defensive coverage, it ended up going to Johnny Lumpkin. Here's Johnny Lumpkin on that touchdown. This is a replay, basically, based off the defense, based off a determinant route. I just, I, I got rerouted a little bit by the linebacker, which I got to work on. Uh, that wasn't good, really. But I was big enough today. You know what I mean? Like, not to fall, not to stumble. Uh, and I just seen grass, really, to be honest. I just seen grass. I bent it across. Great ball by Chandler, you know, where I can only catch it. And the result was a touchdown. Uh, you know, it was a great ball, though, to be honest. It was a great ball. MJ did his part. Like I said, MJ was, like you said, MJ was open. So, of course, MJ did his part as well. So, we all just did our part to execute on, on, a, on a good night, you know. I love how he said he's seen grass. I mean, that's right. All he had was green in front of him. And, I mean, it was a beautiful ball over the middle from Chandler Fields to Johnny Lumpkin early on in the game. Michael Desermo also talked about his cornerback slash punt specialist in Eric Garrett. You need your, your best seasoned veteran players. You need them to make plays. And for Eric, you know, it's just been a body of work over a long period of time that you just know you can trust him to do something. And, you know, the punt return, he'll probably be the first one to tell you it was really well blocked. But he fielded the ball moving forward. He used, he does it the way that we ask him to do it. He catches it, he hits it, he makes one miss and gets vertical, and then there you go. And um, Eric has been a weapon for us in the return game. And I thought, you know, Coach Pasco, I thought, did a great job scheming up this week. I thought we had a good good schemes in all phases of the game. And, you know, certainly makes it better when you've got Chris Smith and Eric Gare back there making plays in the return game. That makes it a whole lot easier. You don't have to block for quite as long. So EG's a guy for us that has been – just as solid and consistent as the day is long. We're just making great plays. And today, you know, you kind of, unfortunately, you kind of come to expect it a little bit, but um, but he's he's earned that. Michael Dazermo also, you know, in college football, in football in general, really, uh, if you win the turnover battle, you're going to win the game. Here's head coach Michael Dazermo. The recipe for us has been owning the ball and attacking the ball, getting it on defense. And for us, you know, since we've in the last three years for sure, we've been undefeated when we get two turnovers or more on defense. So that's always the goal, you know, and they get two turnovers in crucial times when on offense we were kind of struggling a little bit, right? Didn't have much rhythm and they got us on a short field and we were able to cash in on one of them, which is certainly something, the momentum. We got to learn to grab the momentum and go finish. The ball's the most important thing. 
and you have to make good decisions with it. And it's, you know, it's usually technical. You know, sometimes you're going to throw picks, you're going to have a tip ball, overthrow. Those things are going to happen. But fumbles and stuff are, are usually technical issues. You know, we did put one on the ground that we were able to recover. So, you know, we're going to we're going to look at it. We're going to coach it up. We're going to use it as a teaching tool for the whole team and you know, it's not, you don't have fumble problems, you have technique problems. And so that's what we harp on. And so really proud of them to protect the ball the way they did. A lot of young guys getting their first carries, getting to go out there and, and, and tote it for us a little bit. So you always worry a little bit, you know, truthfully going into the game. You feel like you got everybody going the right direction, but when the bullets start flying, sometimes it's a little different. So I was, I was pleased with them protecting the football and the way they did it. So an interesting thing to to watch and I'm obviously I'm going back to the LSU game here um so I'm seeing a, a story on and people are talking about you know with with the play at the end of the game on, on Mason Taylor you know inbounds out of bounds how does the clock situation line up blah 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 here's a quote that I am pulling from Twitter from a former official in college football Ball carrier in or out of bounds. If a ball carrier is ruled out of bounds, the play is not reviewable. So did the officiating crew last night mess up by reviewing that play? Because according to a former official, a play like that is non-reviewable. If you rule him out of bounds, he's out of bounds. That's interesting. Granted, does that change the fact that the extra point got blocked? No, it doesn't. I mean, LSU still ended up scoring a touchdown. But but still, you know. Could have saved about 10 minutes of our time. <laughs> right. And, and <laughs> but that would have been people, nice. People could have gotten to that first beer a little bit earlier than, than they did last night. Well, I mean, by 10 o'clock last night, I'm sure people were more than just one beer in. But anyways, not not the point. That That's interesting, though. I mean, again, I guess, like I said, when you look at it, it doesn't change anything, but still, you know, an interesting conversation to have, at least. The Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com can help with your date night blues. That's because once you become a member of our rewards club, you'll have the opportunity to win excellent prizes like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou a $50 gift certificate to Acadiana Bar and Grill, or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen. The only way to score these great prizes is by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. Sign up today. James, I've got a pretty important date this week, right? I mean, I mean I've got something. I might need one of those gift cards. I've been wanting a gift card. I mean, I, I, I've got. I've, I've been got, wanting one. I've got a pretty important event coming up this week, so I might, I might just have to, to use one of those gift cards. Really? What is it? Hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know. So, something, something about, you know, a church, and signing a piece of paper. I don't know. That's weird. Some, something that you do when you get older. You, you, you'll learn <laughs> you'll, about it. You'll, <laughs> you'll learn about it soon enough, youngster. Let's take a time out. We'll do one final segment, and we'll get you set for the Houston Astros at 540. This is the game. Southwest Louisiana's sports station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The Yankees may have won yesterday, and and today for, for that matter. However, 
They're still trash. They are still trash. I mean, James, how, how do you go from at one point holding an 18-game lead in your division and now you only hold a a five-and-a-half game lead? How? How does it happen? That is a monumental collapse. And the Tampa Bay Rays, I mean, they're seven and three in their last ten. The Yankees are only four and six. It can happen. If the Yankees lose that division, oh man. Wow. Oh, and you know, the Red Sox, we we, we like to poke fun at the Red Sox. They have a 1.9% chance of making the playoffs. 1.9. Don't say that it can't happen. Looking else around the league, the Cleveland Guardians hold a half-game lead over the Minnesota Twins. The Houston Astros' lead in the AL West is down to 10. Boo-hoo. The Mets. The Mets only have a one-game lead on the Braves as we headed to September. That'll be fun. Oh, man. That'll be... Oh, and the Washington Nationals. You ready for this, James? They They got a fighting chance in the division, too. They're 37 and a half games out. 37 and a half. They have a less than 0.1% chance of making the playoffs. Wow. That's that's not good. So you're telling me there's a chance. That's pas bon. So you look at the AL West. You got two teams that are going to make the playoffs. The Astros are going to make the playoffs. The Mariners are going to make the playoffs. The other three all have less than 0.1% chance. Wow. That's really, really, really bad. Um, and then the Dodgers. I mean, what more can you say about the Dodgers? 92 and 41. They're going to get to 100 wins before anybody else does. Barring, you know, some crazy last minute collapse like the Boston Red Sox in 2004. Because, oof, that was rough. All right, let's take a look at college football around the league over the weekend. Or across the country, should I say? We're talking about McNeese falling to Montana State, forty to seventeen. It was a close game in the first half, no points in the first quarter, and you know you had a three-yard touchdown run by Montana State early in the second quarter to open up a seven-nothing lead. Eleven seconds later, McNeese answered it on one play: a seventy-five-yard touchdown run by D'Angelo Durham to make it seven-seven. And then both teams would trade field goals to make it 10-10 with less than seven minutes to go in the first half. But then with 43 seconds left to go in the quarter, Tommy Mellett would find Willie Patterson to make it 17-10 at the break. And then from there, outside of one touchdown play, it was all Bobcats. The Bobcats would score 23 more points in that game. And again, that one touchdown pass came at the beginning of the fourth quarter where Josh Matthews caught a 66-yard pass from Knox Kadem to score and make it 33-17. to Montana State would add a touchdown late to make it 40-17, to and that would be your final score. Again, we talked about Southern earlier, 86 to nothing over Florida Memorial. A couple of the big games around college football, Arkansas-Cincinnati. Arkansas taking care of business, 31-24. to K.J. Jefferson, 18 of 26 for 223 yards and three touchdowns. And then leading the way in rushing for Cincinnati was Corey Kiner, 12 carries for 59 yards and a score. K.J. Jefferson would also add a rushing touchdown to put 
the game on ice. A couple others, you know, Notre Dame, Ohio State. James, this game was a lot closer than most people thought it would be. Oh, dude, I was sweating bullets. I was like, is Notre Dame really this good? This game was a lot closer than people thought it would be. Ohio State 21-10 to over the Fighting Irish, and I mean... I thought it, I thought they were going to run away with it. Notre Dame was leading at the half. Yeah, they were up 10-7. Yeah, so I mean, what what more do you want? They were, they were winning by three at the half, and then in the third quarter you get a late touchdown from C.J. Stroud to Xavier Johnson, and then in the fourth, Mayan Williams runs in from two yards out to put the game away 21-10. to So it's one of two things, right? You, you said, is Notre Dame really that good? They very well might be. Or it could be that Ohio, Ohio State, State is just a little overrated. Got off to a sluggish start, and they might be a little overrated. We'll see. That was one game. There's still 11 more to play for both of them. But if, if you want to compare opponents, Notre Dame's next game is against Marshall. Well, that's not fair. I like Marshall. I, th- I think Marshall's pretty good. I think Marshall could give Notre Dame a game. And then, I mean, Ohio State... I hate to disrespect a Sunbelt school, but Ohio State's next game is against Arkansas State. Mm. Come on. Yeah. They're taking Arkansas State to the woodshed and taking them pretty quickly. That's going to be over. C.J. Stroud might be on the bench by halftime in that game. That's going to be bad. Really, really, really bad. Can we look at the North Carolina App State game? Oh, man. Oh, God. There's so much to unpack from that. You, you want to bring my blood pressure back up? <laughs> oh, dude. I'd... That game was so incredible. Was It was so incredible. So, at one point, it was 21-7 to app. Beginning of the second quarter, it was 21-7 to app. Mm, yeah. And then South Carolina... Because they were on that hot start. Yeah, they were. They were. And then South Carolina scores 34 unanswered to end the fourth, end the third quarter with a 41-21 to 21 lead. And then App State says, hm, enough of this crap. Let's play some football. Nate Noel, one-yard touchdown run. Chase Bryce to Miller Gibbs, 13-yard touchdown pass. North Carolina gets another touchdown, 49-35. Christian Horn, 31-yard pass from Chase Bryce. Cameron Peoples, 38-yard touchdown run. So with four minutes left in the quarter, it's tied at 49. And this is where things just get crazier. 42-yard pass from Drake May to DJ Jones, 56-49 to with 2.50 left to go. App would march down the field, score a touchdown with 31 seconds left to tie the game. They go for two for the win. They don't get it, so they're down one. Then a failed and absolutely botched onside kick. Oh, the App State's kickoff team absolutely got pancaked. Absolutely pummeled. And the receiver on the far side ends up with the football, and he ran it right down the sideline for a touchdown. So three seconds later, North Carolina scored again, 63-55. to So then App State gets the ball with a return to midfield. Two plays, 48 yards later, they're in the end zone again with the opportunity to tie the game. They run the exact same play they ran on the first 
two-point conversion. Chase Bryce tries to run it in, gets stuffed 63-61. to North Carolina over App State. James, this one. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Sunbelt guy, and I respect the hell out of App State. This one hurt. Oh, yeah. That one hurt. Can we talk about that play? The first two-point conversion. Yeah. Um, because people online were blaming Bryce for the throw, saying, dude, you overthrew your receiver. Uh, No. The receiver just decided to backpedal. I mean, if he, he, he ran, over- if he ran normally like you're supposed to on a flat route, and you just run horizontally, you you've caught it. You're in stride, but and- he decided to backpedal the last five yards, and it was, it was like it went over his head. And it was like you're not a tall guy, but if you would have ran like a, how you're supposed to, you, your team would have never been in this situation. And I don't disagree with you. However, he did overthrow it a little bit. It was slightly overthrown. Not as much as people were making it out to be and not as badly as it looked. And I, and I agree with you. The receiver should have never backpedaled. At worst, it would have been a bicep distance away. Yeah. Like, it was very much in range. But I'm going to tell you that, I mean, I don't I don't bet a lot of money because, I mean, I just don't see the point in betting absurd amounts of money. Uh, but I did place a three-leg parlay Saturday, uh-huh. and it was all three money lines. It was at money line, Georgia money line, and Florida money line. And app ruined it from the jump. And which, what made me even more mad was that the other two games hit. <laughs> yeah, it's always that one leg. Usually it's the last one for me. Usually I go in with all this you know, excitement and then, no, not happening, right? Um, but no, this time it was the first one, and I, I think it made me even more mad. Well, yeah, because like, are you kidding me? The end, we we hit on a high note, right? But uh, the game of the day, in my opinion, was Utah Florida. I mean, what what a game! Florida wins twenty nine to twenty six, picking off Cam Rising in the end zone, and Anthony Richardson. Now, don't get me wrong, his stat line was not, you know, gaudy. It doesn't jump off the page at you. He went 17 to 24 for 168 yards and no touchdowns. However, let's look at his rushing numbers, shall we? How about 11 carries, 106 yards, and three scores? He ran in three touchdowns. In this game, Cam Rising, 22 of 32 for 216 yards with a touchdown and an interception. Anthony Richardson would run his third touchdown in with 125 to go to win the game, to give them the 29 to 26 lead. And then Utah would march down the field and get intercepted in the end zone as time expired. And in the fourth quarter, former Louisiana Raging Cajun Montreal Johnson getting a 14 yard touchdown run with a two-point conversion to put Florida up 22-19 to early again in the fourth quarter. James, so I, I'm taking away two things from this game. Number one, and, and obviously, you know, you don't want to look too much into one game, right? Florida might be better than people thought for number one. Very quick turnaround. 
Anthony Richardson was everything I expected him to be, and then some. And a lot more. The, the Very good performance. Put that kid in the Heisman race. Now. Because he's got it. I don't think he wins the Heisman, but man, if he keeps putting up numbers, he's gonna, you're going to have no choice but to at least put him in the conversation. That was, that was incredible. That's why college football is the best. Okay. It's the best thing on planet Earth. Uh huh. I know you don't agree. It's fine. Everybody has opinions, even when they're wrong. I want to take this opportunity to thank Wilson Alexander for joining us for Tiger Talk today. Once again, LSU falling 24-23 to to Florida State. They'll bounce back with a game against Southern this Saturday at Tiger Stadium. The Cajuns 1-0. They will host Eastern Michigan on Saturday here at Cajun Field. 6 o'clock kickoff on the NFL Network. And this Sunday, real meaningful New Orleans Saints football. We'll talk about it all for James Mesh. I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well, hug your mom and them. We'll talk to you tomorrow, same time, here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Let's head now to the Minute Maid Park, where Robert Ford and Steve Sparks.